Hey there, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Margaret Petrie, and this is Authentic Obsessions. I'm so happy to be back. As much as I wanted to keep going with the relentless pace of producing a weekly podcast, I just really needed to take a little time off. But we're back. If you've been listening to the podcast up until now, you know that nature is what centers me, keeps me sane, and right now lets me see friends and family in a socially distant, safe space. And as we move into the fall and winter months in Wisconsin, I'm trying to keep the panic at bay by investing in some good winter gear so I can keep up with my daily outdoor time. I hope you guys are all doing well and staying healthy and safe and connecting with your community. It's one way some of us are going to get through the winter. I also feel like we are all so lucky to be part of this artist community, no matter how accomplished you are, if you're full-time or part-time, emerging or established, you can find a group that's welcoming and open. You can join a mastermind, a free Facebook group, or just get 10 of your friends to participate in virtual artist dates. We've got to stay connected with each other. I'd love to hear what you're doing because we've all got to stay connected with each other and I need some more ideas. So you won't see this episode officially marked as season two, but I'm sort of thinking about it that way. And I'd love to hear your comments about the podcast. What do you want to hear more about? Are my questions getting tiresome? Or do you think you're a good fit for this podcast? Do you have suggestions for an excellent guest? Send me an email or a message on Instagram and let me know your thoughts. I love meeting any other artists, creatives, or really just humans. So please don't be shy. Reach out. We all need to connect with each other. So today, I am so excited to introduce you to Linda Marcus. She's a multidisciplinary artist embracing the traditional focus on fluidity and tactility, using unexpected and less traditional materials in her work. This back and forth between new and old, expected and unexpected, results in a distinct body of work that is mostly fiber-based. Linda melds her experience and emotions from her many lives as a newscaster, fashion designer, and mother of three into truly remarkable works of art. During this conversation, we talk about curiosity, motherhood, failure, and the spectacular art scene in Milwaukee. And Linda shares what she discovered from her experience as a contestant on Project Runway. So follow her on Instagram and check out her website at lindamarcusart.com. As always, you can see links and takeaways in the show notes and on our episode page at authenticobsessions.com. If you like this episode, if it resonates with you, if you think someone else would appreciate it, please share the link with a friend. This project is about creating a community and sharing the stories and experiences of creative souls. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Linda Marcus. Linda, I am so happy that you are here today, and I can't wait to delve into your background. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am, because I have been listening to your podcasts, and I really enjoy them, and thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I just want to start off with a quote. You said you can have multiple careers across different industries. All you need to do is take a chance on yourself. You've been called the mastermind behind St. Kate which is the Arts Hotel in Milwaukee. And I understand you're currently the creative director and co-curator there, which we can talk more about. You've been a contestant on Project Runway. Mm -hmm. You started a luxury handbag and clothing company. And, oh, you're a former 
investigative reporter, news anchor, and you raised three kids. But what I really want to talk about is your work as an artist, your working habits, and the mental and physical spaces that nourish your creativity, and of course, your obsessions. So let's Where start. Where do you want to start? I know, right? So much to talk about. Tell us a little bit about your creative path. Wow. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I think I'm basically a very curious person. You know, I think that I wonder about things and because of that, I like to see what happens. So I like to, when I'm mixing materials, especially when I'm working in fiber arts and any other types of materials, I like to see what's going to happen. I like to look at the material and go, oh, this is normally used for clothing or drapery or a quilt or whatever. What if I use it for this? Or what if I have a, a different treatment of it? You know, what, what new hybrid does it create? And I think in doing that, I think I keep going back and forth and doing this more and more with, with different materials. I think in doing that, I learned something more about the material than I thought before. It's kind of like a metaphor for life for me because so many times in my life, people have looked at me and decided I was one way or the other, you know, and people are not, people are multifaceted, you know, women are multifaceted. And I always enjoy when I interview somebody or when I'm working with a material that I, I like finding all the different layers to that person. And I find that just fascinating. And, you know, creating something new with different materials is always something that's going to be part of my art practice. I like the hybridness of the materials, you know, for so long, fiber arts has been kind of like the craft, you know, like, oh, that's craft. Well, I think in the last five years, it's really shown to be that it's, it really is a respectable art form and that you know, a lot of it is women's labor too. A lot of it is, is women's work, you know, that was considered women's work in the past and now is no longer that. So yeah, I really, I think it starts with just being super curious about the world, you know, and I, I'm hoping that curiosity will continue throughout my life, <laughs> you know, as I look at different materials and working with different artists who do different things, you know, um, you'll see in my work, a lot of times I will you know, work with an iron artist. And I made, uh, you know, a piece called The Weight of This. I took a fiber piece and then cast it in iron. And, you know, what was that like? And how did that change? And, and you know, I've worked with photographers. I've worked with sculptors, you know. And it's so interesting to me to learn kind of their methods of doing things and why they do that. And then I apply it to my own work. I love that you use all these materials in such unexpected ways. Are there reactions or conversations that you either hope to spark in people or that happen that are unexpected when they view your work in this way? Um, I hope what it does is it gets people to, to look at how they view the world. In a weird sort of way, my work as an artist is really something I've been doing all my life. I'm a storyteller. So I think my work as a journalist many years ago, my work as a fashion designer, and now my work in art all has to do with storytelling. And how do you do the best storytelling? You, you set up ways to help people think about things, and then they bring their own experiences to it. And that's really the goal, I think, for me. Talk a little bit about the humanity of fabric. 
<laughs> well, so I heard you talk about sort of this dual purpose that fabric has. So there's utility, there's the aesthetic, warmth and identity. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, clothing and weaving and, and all of that's been going for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, and, and we've used it in very much a utilitarian fashion. I think now, especially now, like in culture, when things are going on in culture, what do we as humans do? We gravitate towards things that are warm and fibrous and make us feel comfortable. And I think that is such a valuable thing to use in storytelling and in art. It doesn't have to just be fiber that was used for clothing for identity purposes or clothing for utility to keep you warm or, you know, a blanket in your house or a quilt in your house, that it can be used as vehicles for other things. And I think we're just starting to really learn what that is because, you know, we had Annie Albers and Lenore Tolany and, you know, Sheila Hicks, you know, all these fiber artists that have been doing stuff for a number of years, but now I think it's just becoming, I mean, it's exploding. I mean, if you look, fiber arts is everywhere now, you know, and it's in all the museums and, and all of that. And I think they're taking a critical look at, at what it means to be a fiber artist and how do you use fiber? And also the other part about it is the technology of fiber now is changing. So what the fiber is actually made out of is really interesting. You know, they're using different materials now to do that. And I did some photography where I had used a thread that was, it was like 24 karat gold thread to weave through something that ended up having a really interesting image. And then they have Kevlar thread. Well, Kevlar is used for uh, bulletproof vests. Right. So just the, the meaning of that in a thread form was super interesting to me. And I'm sure I'm, I'll do more with that. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, so, so the technology stuff is something I follow too, just to see kind of what the materials are out there. And, and as they develop these new materials, I go, oh, well, what can these materials do with what I'm doing? <laughs> and, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I haven't seen that before, you know. <laughs> I want to hear about your quilted paint and your gathered paint. I'm looking at these pieces that you've done. I almost want to call them sculptures. They feel very sculptural to me. And the first time I saw them, I'm like, how is that paint? How is that just latex paint? Tell me how you do those. <laughs> well, they started off as latex paint. Now they're acrylic paint because okay. if you know anything about latex, well, <laughs> which I learned the hard way, by the way. <laughs> It chips. So I was at a, a residency at Mass Mocha in uh, Massachusetts uh, last fall. And I started working on a piece. And after about four or five days, I was like, you know, I just don't like this piece. And I kind of scrapped what I was going to do. And there was another artist in, you know, in this little quad area. And they, they had some paint. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to start experimenting with this. And literally, those pieces are like 10 layers of paint and dried obviously over a period of time and then cut and then sewn with my sewing machine so it's really there's nothing else there except the paint and thread and and the idea with that is getting paint to act like fiber and fiber to act like paint and it's kind of switching places a little bit 
you know, and, mm -hmm. and the idea with that is, you know, okay, here's this thing that's normally on the canvas, normally needs a substructure underneath it and all sorts of things. What if you don't have that? How does that look? And then on top of that, I was like, you know, I want to use some sewing techniques, some gathering techniques, some draping techniques that you would use in sewing. So if you, if you make clothing, there's a couple different ways to do patterns. There's draping it on the actual, you know, uh, form allows it to the material to fall in certain ways and then you you tuck it and you pin it and you mark it and then you sew it so a lot of couture is done that way there's a lot of designers that design their patterns that way and then there's flat pattern making which is basically shapes that you know that will fit around the body so there's a couple different ways to make patterns so I was like well what if I add those to this paint what is it do to it you know because it's a little more rigid than regular fiber you know fabric it's malleable a little I've mucked up my sewing machine multiple times already <laughs> 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 trying to do these pieces you know what what does it look like and I I find those kind of those pieces kind of interesting they're kind of nostalgic they look a little like quilted things and they look a little like clothing but not you know it's they're kind of this hybrid thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in. <laughs> so what was going through your mind, if anything, what were the thoughts that were happening as you were doing this? Was it tied to something that was going on in your life? Well, again, I think throughout my life, even when I was a working journalist, like, you know, people would say, oh, you know, you, you were raised in California and, you know, you know, life was easy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know, no, it actually wasn't. I grew up, you know, on the poorer side and supported myself through college. And it was really, really, really difficult. <laughs> Although a lot of people do that. Like, you know, I'm not feeling sorry for myself or anything, but the point being is that, is that because I'm a happy person, a lot of people would think, oh, well, you know, life's been easy for you. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> you know, I just choose to, to look at things like, okay, this is the, the way that I build up my resilience and my, my muscle for getting through things. And, and, um, and I hate to say this phrase, but it's kind of true, you know, not to judge people by the exterior, you know, and it's interesting because I was so into the exterior with fashion. But really what I, I think that I've been saying with a lot of fashion and a lot of stories that I do is that it's worth peeling back the layers when you meet someone. It's worth getting to know them, to spend the time, to, to look a little closer, to not assume. And that it's really something beautiful and wonderful. I mean, when I was a working journalist, I worked... I, I started as a reporter in Bluefield, West Virginia, which is Appalachia. From Southern, I'm from Southern California, going to Appalachia, okay? <laughs> so they were like, who are you? You're from California, what? You know? <laughs> and I'm like looking at them going, okay, this is a, you know, just different from what I know. And I just learned to, to look closer and to, to spend the time. And, and that there really is something wonderful to behold, you know, when you do that, when you take the time to look at things. And, and so I hope even with my artwork now that, that people will want to look below the layers and understand that what you see right now is, is you know, it's almost like the sediment in, a, in the ocean. You know, it's, it's, it's lots of experiences. It's lots of, you know, good things and bad things that have happened and, and you know, lots of layers of things. And, and within that is such an interesting combination of who that person is. Yes, yes, yes. 
agree. A hundred percent. That's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about your experience with Project Runway. You sent me your demo tape, which I will share if that's okay. Um, I watched it and by the end, no joke, I had tears in my eyes and maybe it's because we're about the same age, but the way you talked about how important it was for you to have this experience and that it was your time to do this. And Mm -hmm. you talked about what you'd been doing the last few decades and why you wanted to do this. I just, I was so moved by that. So talk a little bit about how many times you applied and what your experience was like, what you got out of it, what you learned from it. Well, you know, I think, you know, anyone who's raised children, you know, especially after you, you know, you're working in a career and then all of a sudden thing you're, you're at home. And for me, (laughs) I always like to say, I went from an audience of a quarter million to an audience of three. And they didn't (laughs) like me half the time. (laughs) You know? And it was a huge change for me uh, to, you know, make that turn. And, And I think, like many women, I kind of lost who I was, you know, because I felt like I needed to give everything of me to these three wonderful kids. And I, I wasn't happy about it. I mean, it, you know, quite honestly, you asked my husband, you know, I went kicking and screaming into it, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm going to have a career and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have it all. It's, it, it, I mean, you can have it all, but there, some things have to give. And I remember him saying to me quite clearly saying, you know, someone's got to be home. Someone's got to be around to raise these kids. And I really, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to be home. I'm going to be doing this. What else do I like to do? So I went back and I got my uh, master's degree in journalism and philosophy at Marquette. And I thought at the time I was going to teach, you know, uh, ethics at, in the college level. And then I started looking at journalism and it was just having, you know, it's gone through a lot of changes. And I just was like, you know, I don't think I could have an impact there. I, you know, so I kind of regrouped <laughs> and I went, okay, what else do I like to do? What else do I enjoy? And I had been sewing my entire life. You know, I sewed most of my clothes when I was on TV because I didn't make a whole lot of money. And um, so I started making clothing and handbags, you know, and my friends started buying my handbags. And I was like, wow, maybe I have a business here, you know? (laughs) And so I ended up finding uh, some great ethical manufacturers in California and I started my line. And then I was like, oh, okay. You know, people would say to me, well, what do I wear with these things? And I'm like, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Well, maybe I'll start making some clothing. (laughs) So I started making some clothing and started trying to figure out how to do this. And then I started watching Project Runway and I was like, why can't I do that? You know, and I I just, it's like, I know it's totally insane. But at the time I was like, you know what? I need a goal. I need something to work forward. I had no idea I had no idea that I would ever even get close to it or anything. But what was great about it is I applied three times and every single time I applied, it forced me to get my act together. It forced me to articulate where I was going. It forced me to organize myself. It forced me to say, what am I doing and why am I doing this? That was really good for me to go through those processes. Now, anyone who's applied, you know, knows this is a, it's a, 35 page application, you send in 
all of your designs, you send in your sketches, you send in your actual designs, like the patterns, it's very technical when you apply. And then they go, oh, well, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Then once you make it through that, they have an in-person interview. And that's where I met Tim Gunn and a couple other contestants and some other people. And it's all about your design. They grill you on where that design came from and where you were going and what you were doing and blah, 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 blah. And so you have to articulate all of, all of that. So I, I applied three times. The very last time I applied, I was like, you know, I'm kind of done with this because I got close a couple of times and then, you know, got canned for whatever reason. Then the last time, you know, I was, wasn't even thinking about it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to apply and whatever happens, happens. But again, it was good for me to get my act together, to apply and see where I'm going and what am I doing. Um, and to really be honest about why I was doing it, because I felt like I'd been raising these kids. I've been giving these kids so much and my husband and all that. And this is what most women do. They give everything to their families. It's what you do. It's what, you know, it's all of us do this and we do this in such a natural way, but we forget that we need that too. You know, we need that, that thing that makes us feel relevant, that mm -hmm. thing that makes us drive forward. And the most interesting part of all of this is that um, I can remember I got on the plane to leave my family, which I had never left my family for more than a day or so. For three months, I was leaving them. And my son said the most beautiful thing to me. He was applying to colleges at the time. And he said to me, he said, you know, mom, he said, if you can do this, I'm not scared to go and apply. I'm not scared to go do that. And I, like, even now, like, I want to cry when I remember I have goosebumps. Because I, I had no idea that my kids were watching me push myself and that that was becoming an example for them. So my heart was so full when he said that to me. And my daughter said that in different ways to me too. And then afterwards, when I got kicked off, it was my kids who were like, mom, it doesn't matter that you got kicked off. The way this all plays out, people don't realize when you're standing up there, that's three hours of me standing there and they're telling me how awful I am. That's three hours. Oh. Is it, that's not 20 seconds. It's three hours of them saying, hey, I think you're really awful. <laughs> and, and you just have to stand there and smile through it. Well, I had a choice. I could have said some not so nice things back. But I thought to myself, that's what they want. They want me to lose it. They want me to be that angry old woman. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to give that to you. I, I'm not yes. going to do that. You know, I have control over myself. And you know what? I teach my kids not to act that way. So why would I go on national TV and act that way? <laughs> so I had to just take it. I always describe this experience at standing up there, having them try to get me to act angrily was like, and at the time I was 55, I was like a, me being naked at 55 years old in front of the whole world. That's what it felt like, you know? And it's very, very, you feel really vulnerable. You feel, it's just not a, a great feeling, but I was like, I am going to hold on to my dignity. I'm gonna say, yes, I messed up. You know, I did these things wrong. I could have done this better, which, cause that, that was the truth. I'm a journalist. I'm gonna tell you what I think the truth is. After that, I felt 
horrible. I, I came home, I felt defeated. I felt really bad about myself because I had just had this horrible experience. And then I started going, okay, I just need to repair myself. And my kids were so wonderful because the thing that I didn't, again, I didn't realize that they were listening, they were watching, and they felt empowered through my experience. So all that love and all that stuff I had given to them for so many years was now coming back to me because they understood what I was doing and, and how I was taking a chance on myself and that it didn't work out great. That, you know what, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you have failure. And what they all have learned and have told me subsequently is that failure is a good thing. That, you know what, the people that actually don't do anything when they fail afterwards, that's true failure. If you take what you've learned from your failures and you go, okay, I'm going to take what the good things are and move it forward, those are the people that end up doing well. You read Lee Iacocca's book, you know, it's all about failure. I embrace failure. I embrace things when I don't do them well. I embrace that because that means I'm learning. The moment I stop doing that, the moment I go, oh, I can't do it anymore, that's failure to me. That doesn't work. So when I came home, I didn't feel great about myself. My family was wonderful. My kids were wonderful about all of it. And then I, I took a, a couple of just basic weaving classes, and I took one with Tanya Aguilina out of California, and she taught me how to do the rope weaving. So that green rope weaving is something I started right. when I got kicked off of Project Runway many years ago. And I didn't understand why I kept doing all these layers and trying to remend things and, and calcify things. And, and it's almost like a lichen on a rock, you know? Right, and, right. And what I didn't realize is I was trying to repair myself that I was trying to, to find my footing again, to rebuild whatever little things that, that had been torn apart. And I think I'm still kind of doing that now. I think now I'm more settled in what I do. But I think that's what that is about. And a lot of my work, if you look at it, it is about mending. It is about rebuilding and mending and making things stronger to move forward. I think that's always just been a part of my personality is to to look at things and go, okay, you know, this, this needs to be fixed or this needs to be strengthened or whatever, and try to, to move it forward in a way that's, that's positive and feels good. That is such a powerful message. Thank you so Thank much you. for sharing your experience. In retrospect, I'm very glad I did it because it taught me a lot about myself. You know, it was good for my business and, and all of that. And what I didn't realize about the show too, is they were really more interested in people that you know, that we're saying things about each other and talking behind each other's back and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, that's just not me, <laughs> you know? No wonder you got kicked off. You didn't play well, the reality TV bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's why you don't see anyone who's older who's got kids, because if you have kids, you're not going to be doing the thing that you're telling your kids not to do. Right. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> not a lot of people know this, but the year after that, all of us who were on that show, on that season, became very good friends, and we're all still good friends. They all came to Milwaukee to do a show called Project Reunited, and it was a fundraiser for United Way. And we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for United Way. All of the designers came from my season, and we put on a runway show, and it was awesome. And I remember we taped it, we did all this stuff, 
I called up the producers of Project Runway saying, I have this, isn't this cool? And they weren't interested because it was, it was nice. <laughs> right. There was no so, drama. But all those people are really wonderful people. And they all came to Milwaukee because I asked. And they loved Milwaukee. They were like, oh my God, the people are so wonderful here. Like I can see why you live here and why you love it here. And I said, yeah, it, the, inter the beauty about Milwaukee is that most everyone will find a way to help you. All you have to do is ask. You really do. And it usually takes just one or two asks. It's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm from California, so that doesn't happen in LA all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, with that show, I literally called up United Way and said, hey, do you want to do this? They were like, we're game. Called up Boston Store. They, they uh, sponsored it. I mean, it was awesome. You know, it wasn't as much work as you think, but we all had to do a line for the show, like a, a line of clothing. So that was where the work was, <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, I, I ended all of it with really good relationships with these people, raising some money for Milwaukee and it, it, it was all good. That's wonderful. Let's talk about your obsessions. Do you feel as if you have an obsession that you can label? I think I have a couple of obsessions. I my obsession with fiber, obviously, has been something that's been since I was 12 years old and I learned how to sew in my home ec class and what fiber does. And I think part of the reason, and I'll be very honest with you about this, is part of the reason why I think I am so attached to fiber is my parents, I'm a product of divorce and my parents' marriage started falling apart about the time I started to sew. And I think that act of mending and sewing and creating and maybe even rescuing materials was psychological for me. And I think it's always been a source of comfort for me. Fiber's always been this just kind of interesting thing that you can use for identity or you can use for utility. And, and so I've always been fascinated with its abilities and what it does. So you've seen it in the clothing that I've designed and then um, now with with a lot of the the art that I do, and if you look at St. Kate, there's a lot of fiber art in St. Kate. <laughs> it's one of the things I love, but that's honestly yeah. that I think fiber is my obsession. My other obsession is with materiality and ways to manipulate fiber, weaving and turning things inside out and creating different sculptural forms is super interesting to me. I don't tend to think of myself as a sculptor. However, I love sculpture. So that, that really is something that's always interesting to me and, and also experimentation, you know, just constantly experimenting. My kids laugh because in my house when I'm cooking, they call it the test kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Because the joke always was, you better have a, a takeout menu handy because it may not come out. <laughs> there aren't recipes sitting around in your kitchen? No. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and in fact, I started off as a really, really bad cook. My poor husband had to eat a lot of really bad meals. <laughs> but that's, that's just how our household is. We're always, you know, testing things, you know, either with cooking or art or fashion or even writing and, and different things like that. Just kind of playing around. It's the only way you get to the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The good stuff doesn't come out in your first take. Oh my gosh. No, it's usually the second or third, you know, once, if I do more multiples, they don't come out as good. 
And that's why I don't, I don't oh. really enjoy fashion because in the beginning when I was making all my handbags myself, by the fourth and fifth and sixth iteration of the bag, I was over it. <laughs> you know? That's so interesting. Yeah. There's a window. There's like the yeah. short window of opportunity, right? It's the beginning when you're experimenting and it's not quite working out. And then you figure out how to do it. And once you figured it out, you want to move on to the next thing because yeah. it's not as interesting anymore. Okay. Yeah. That's my experience, but that sounds like and, it resonates and, with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't know if you have this, but I have a couple of really good artist friends that, that we constantly text each other back and forth. What do you think? Do you like it? My very good friend who's a photographer who's brutally honest with me <laughs> will say, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> you know, and he's gotten me to be much more organized. Like you were telling me, you know, that there are some artists that know exactly what they're going to do and they go out and they do it and, and all this. He's that way. I'm more intuitive and I'm more kind of let myself make and then go, okay, well, what, what is this? You know, after I take a step back and I, what, you know, what am I, what am I doing? But I allow myself that intuitive creation and that, that intuitiveness to come through me and through my hands. You mentioned St. Kate. Can you talk a little bit about how it came to be? St. Kate is really a, 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 something I'm very, very proud of. A lot of people worked on this, not just me. <laughs> it's something that uh, my husband and I talked about for many years, bringing, doing an art hotel in Milwaukee. And the timing was correct. It used to be the Intercon Hotel, and now it's uh, the St. Kate Arts Hotel. You know, I kept saying to him, you know, because I'm not from Wisconsin. So when you come here, although I consider myself a Wisconsinite because I've been here 27 years, but, but when you come here, you, people are so humble. They're, they're not good at, at tooting their own horns. They're, they're really bad at that. And yes. I'm always like, you guys, like there's so many incredibly talented people. And a lot of times what happens is that with artists or designers or whatever, they wait till they're vetted in New York or LA or Miami before people in Wisconsin think that they're talented. And it's such an interesting thing. And I think it's because people here are so humble. I kept saying, you know, there's all these super talented people here and they're not getting the recognition that they should. I think we need to provide a platform for that. And, and then at the time too, I knew, that, I knew that the Museum of Wisconsin Art was looking for a satellite exhibition space. So it kind of coincided with what they were looking for, what we were looking to do. The idea is the bottom two floors of the St. Kate is just great, great art. You know, so you can have an international artist, a national artist, a regional artist, a local artist, but it's great contemporary art. And all the local artists that are in those conversations deserve to be in those conversations. You know, it's not just because we're in Wisconsin. It's because Della Wells deserves to be in that bottom floor. It's because Tiana Bowie deserves to be in that bottom floor. Right. You know, Michelle Grabner, like there's all these super talented people that deserve that recognition. And above the second floor and in the guest rooms, it's all Wisconsin artists. 
So we really went to, I don't know if you've been to any of the rooms, but we really went to great lengths to work with artists to put designs on the inside of the Kohler sinks and in the bath tiles, in the showers, and in the, the uh, there's something that's called a, um, a bed scarf that sits on the end of the bed. That was designed by a fiber uh, artist from Mayad. And, you know, we went to all these great lengths to really incorporate Wisconsin artists, not just in the art on the walls, but actually in the experience, um, we had an artist, a sculptor do an eraser soap. You know, it's like a face erase soap, you know, oh, right. it looks like a giant eraser. You ah, know? So stuff like that. So that we went to these great lengths to do these kind of interesting things. And inside the room, people can read about the artists and, you know, find out how to get in touch with it. Cause that's what we want. We want people to make that connection and, and buy directly from the artists or wherever we don't sell their art. <laughs> Although we do have a small gift area that a hundred percent goes back to the artists. Like we don't, you know, we just provide a place for it. And anyway, and then we have, we have, uh, two large exhibition spaces plus a vitrine and a very small exhibition space called the closet that we curate. And I curate that with uh, Samantha Tim. Our curatorial vision is to not just create shows ourselves, but we will pay to have different curators come in to curate shows. So it's not just from, you know, my perspective, you know, it's from very different perspectives because I can put on a show that has all these different people of color, people, different gender, whatever, but it's not the same thing as someone who actually is someone of color who does the show. It's different, you know, right. and, and we really want to, to provide a platform for all these different voices to be heard. And the best way to do that is have guest curators come in to curate the shows. So that's what we've been working towards in our exhibition spaces. And uh, in order to, to kind of bump up, highlight, you know, Wisconsin artists along with that and show people kind of what's here. And we've, I'm very proud that we've won a lot of awards. We won a Condé Nast award. We've got won the Coda award for design. We've won like four or five awards that we're really proud of. Uh, and we're hoping people will come and stay at the St. Kate and support artists here in Wisconsin. <laughs> they will be back. People are coming back. Yeah. I just hope so. hold on a little bit longer, please. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I just want to mention that St. Kate is from St. Catherine, who's the patron saint of artists yep. and the original champion of the creative process. So yes, exactly. Okay. exactly. And, that, and that was the genesis of the name. So thank you for bringing that up. And it was really interesting. We did kind of a, a survey of the names of all the different hotels in Milwaukee, and they were all very male sounding. So it was a very conscious effort on our part to have a, a female voice there. St. Kate, I think Kate was the best name for the hotel. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Thank you for spearheading that. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It really is. <laughs> Let's move on. Tell me a little bit about your studio space. Well, up until a while ago, <laughs> I have a studio space down at Bar Gallery. However, during the pandemic, I've been working at home just for safety reasons. And, and all of my, my kids were home. So it was just, I had to, to move everything home. If you saw it, it looks like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, like a, not a hoarder, but on the verge of it. <laughs> An organized hoarder. <laughs> I can imagine with all the different materials you use. 
obviously I have a huge cache of fabric and fibers. Right. Um, and all of my sewing machines are in my basement just to keep the temperatures right and stuff like that, just to not ruin the machines. But I do a lot of my stuff in my garage. <laughs> and especially when I'm dyeing things. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, you obviously have to have a certain temperature to, to do the fiber dyeing and stuff like that. And I have to be careful because I get it all over my house. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've had a few pairs of socks end up being pink and all these different colors. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Uh, but it's good I, to add a little color to your life. Yeah, yeah. And I try to keep it kind of organized. But like during the pandemic, I was, you know, like everybody else, you know, we have these Amazon boxes, you know, so I started sewing on these Amazon boxes and uh, I made a piece called Nozama and it's basically Amazon backwards. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? It's, you know, it's kind of faces without any eyes, but I mean, you know, kind of utilizing the, the Amazon logo because I had all this this paper around me, you know, and I didn't know what to do with it, you know, right. so I started sewing on top of it. I mean, even though that's not really a piece of art per se, it was just more of a, an experimentation and kind of going, why am I, you know, attracted to this particular piece that's filling up my garage and something I'm dependent on because of the pandemic. So I thought that was kind of interesting that my mind was kind of going that way. Do you have this driving need to create every day? Um... Yes and no. <laughs> yes, in the sense that I know I think about it every single day. I know sometimes I have to just take a step back and start journaling or writing down ideas or when I'm working, what am I feeling when I'm working? Um, I, I, I'm an artist I recently met who's got a show down at the St. Kate. She was telling me, that she keeps that that she writes down what she her emotions while she's working and i and that really stuck with me recently and i was like gosh i need to start doing that because i think that would be really helpful in understanding why i'm doing what i'm doing i need to be a little bit better about my studio practice in terms of yeah i go in at this time i do this and the but again as a mom i'm taking care of my husband during the pandemic and my kids i have some family members that have been sick so some of those priorities get a little you know, juggled up, you know, I try and, and creating could be for me creating a beautiful meal. So it's mm -hmm. not necessarily right. art every day or writing, you know, but I try to do something. I mean, don't you, you do that. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Every day. And I think if you're creative, you just need to get it out of your fingers or your head. Uh -huh. And, and the other thing that really provides a lot of just calmness for me is I take walks or runs outside. Nature is a huge, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nature is a huge influence on me. Even when I did my handbags, the reason why there's a lot of ruching and different textures on my handbag is because it reminds me of the trees that I saw on my run. And the ruching on it looked like the sediment in the, in the base part of the tree. And trees, if you think about it, it's really interesting because the bark on a tree is something that protects something on the inside. So I was like attracted to this bark that's kind of protection and armor and blah, blah, blah. And then on the inside is, is this beautiful, obviously, the, the rings of the tree. And with my handbags, the inside of the handbags were all these vintage linings and they're always different. So, you know, nature's always been something that kind of runs through me and calms me. And, and I think there's a lot more in terms of art to go that way. 
in the future. So here's something I've been thinking about recently. I'd love to hear your take on it. Being selfish versus putting on your oxygen mask, right? We talk about um, how important it is to create something every day or how important it is to be in nature. And I feel like if I go to the woods or to the lake, if I see water or woods every day, it's a good day, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the days that I feel whole and complete and that I can do everything else in my life with much more ease. And I've just been wondering like how people, I don't know if it's a line you draw or if it's a transition between, but how you like give yourself from grace for taking care of yourself so that you're able to take care of other people. Yeah, I think we as women just do that normally. We put everyone before us. And I think that's kind of, you know, the process of, of having a family and taking care of people. I think for me, I remind myself that I have to take care of myself too. That it's not being selfish. And I don't look at it as being selfish at all. I really don't. And my kids used to joke, <laughs> they used to say, don't talk to mom before she's come back. I mean, until she's had her coffee and her run. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, they were right. I, I would laugh about it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, I just need to get my grumps out. I need to, to just be grounded and think about what I'm going to do that day and think about maybe work out something in my head that might be an issue or problem with either an art piece or a relationship or something and come back just calmer. But I, I, I don't think of it as selfish at, at all. I think all of us need that time. I think the problem is, is that most women feel bad about doing it. I have taught my girls, they need to take care of themselves too, to be the best version of themselves, you know, and that it, it it's not a bad thing to do that, you know, that, that you're not being selfish and that, that you really are doing something for everyone else when you take care of yourself. Because for instance, if I didn't go on my run and then I'm kind of grumpy all day and not very nice to be around, that doesn't help my kids. Right. It doesn't help my husband. It just makes everything inside the house more tense. I mean, can you do it every day for two hours? Probably not. But you know, again, when you have young kids, it's so hard to make that time. It's so hard. And I probably wasn't very pleasant to be around, let's be honest, you know, um, when my kids were young, you know, because I put, yeah, you know, I put stress on myself, you know, and I talk about that with my kids now, you know, and I, I, you know, I've apologized saying, look, I probably could have been a little nicer, you know, but doing this transition from having a career to all of a sudden, you know, basically being a caretaker was huge for me and I wasn't prepared for it. You know, like I said, I went kicking and screaming and now I'm so glad I did it, but, but I, you know, I didn't account for the transitional thing that I should have accounted for. So I try to talk to my kids about that a lot. And my son, so whenever he gets married, and that he will have empathy for his wife and my daughters, so they will take the time for themselves and put up some boundaries of, yes, I need to do just this today. And, and for me, it was getting up and like taking a shower. <laughs> that was a simple little thing but that was the goal take right. me shower <laughs> by yourself with the door closed yes and no dogs no kids right. no nothing. <laughs> but I think I don't think it's selfish at all I think we as women need to to take care of ourselves you know and and uh, be a better version for other people you know and and to teach those around you 
that you're not just doing it for you, you're doing it for them and your mm-hmm. family and their relationships and, and all of that. And having some silence in your life and being alone is really the only way that sometimes you can process certain things in your life. It's just impossible to do it sitting on the couch at night while someone else is watching TV and you're scrolling through your Instagram feed. And we have to have some silent time to process those things. And I think being out in nature is what does it for me. Yeah. You just breathe in all that great oxygen. It resets me every time. And two hours, of course, would be lovely. I would be exhausted if I did that every day, I'm sure. But even, you know, a a 15 minute walk to the lake and around just staring at Lake Michigan and breathing in and going, oh yeah, right. Grounding yourself, coming back to the work helps. You got to get outside. You got to breathe the air. I absolutely believe that too, you know, and I, I probably wouldn't have appreciated that when I was younger. You know, I think I appreciate oh, for that sure. now more than ever, you know, because I, I know the difference. I know when I don't have those things and I know what happens to me. And I think it's too much. It's too much for us. It's too, it's too burdensome, you know, mm-hmm. and nature has that way of saying, oh, you know what? It's not, you're not alone. You know, this, there's this big world and we're all kind of just doing this together and, and there's just something about that, you know, I, I, I so appreciate it. Can you talk a little bit about the physicality of your work? I know that some of the things you do must be hard on your hands or your body. Talk a little bit about that and how you rest and recover from that. You know, it's interesting you should say that because I never, there, there are some pieces that I've done. One's called My Appearance Allows Me to Be in This Place. And those pieces are made of clothing on the insides of them. And then there's yarn. There's multiple layers of string and then yarn. And then um, in certain areas, there's um, plaster. And those pieces are very laborious to do. It's a winding of clothing. First of all, it was a bunch of clothing of my kids that I couldn't part with. And these were not special pieces of clothing. You know, I gave away the stuff that could be used, but this is just t-shirts and jeans and just stuff, you know, that I couldn't bear. I felt like if I was throwing it away, I was throwing them away. And I didn't want to do that. And so for the longest time, it just sat in this large pile. And then I started just wrapping them almost like not a mummy, but wrapping them with care and each piece takes me probably two or three days to to wrap because there's so many layers of wrapping and 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 they become these kind of elongated looking things with little balls on the end of them and I can tell by looking at each piece what's kind of inside them (laughs) you know is that a pair of pants is that a skirt is that you know whatever it is and I didn't realize but it was the process it was the labor in making those that was honoring the labor in raising those kids you know oh that's so beautiful but I didn't realize that when I was making it it just made me feel better to encase those pieces and, and save them and, and like stop them from going away and stop them from, you know, the memory fading and, and all of that. And, and background to this is my, my last child went off to college. So, you know, that's a big deal. You know, I had 
three kids in four and a half years. And so all my kids are close in age. And I felt a sense of loss when my, my kids were gone. It was so weird because it's like, oh, I always wanted to have this time. But then when I had the time, I felt like I, I was mourning. <laughs> so it was a very odd feeling for me. And, but wrapping these things and caring for them in that way made me feel better. You know, it made me feel like, okay, this was complete. This was a time in my life and now I'm, I'm honoring it and I'm completing it and I'm allowing it to be on its own. So that, that labor is, labor is always somewhere in my work too. There's some sense of laborious labor of some kind, either in the amounts of paint, <laughs> you know, or cutting things like a quilt that takes a long time to do or the wrapping. There's labor is always a part of that. There's an honoring the labor. It's not, it's not labor in the sense of, oh, this just took me a long time to do. It's labor. It's honoring it that we as women put all of this labor into these human beings that live on and move on, but it's labor, it's that labor in that time. It's honoring that time. And I don't think in our society as women that we are honored that way to the extent that I think we should be because, you know, raising good kids is hard. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your head, I could see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting. That's assuming I have a good kid. I think I yeah. do. Um, I don't know. That's the hard part. You don't know. You don't know. Two or three decades down the line. Right. You know? <laughs> so you don't even know you're doing it right. You know, so it's a hard job. Like my husband says all the time, he's like, you did the work. You know, I said, you're darn right I did. You know? <laughs> okay. I want to make a comment about your pieces and how long they take you in this labor and the laborious process that you go through. I had this vision of it being sort of a transition from one time in your life to another, and that if it took you 10 minutes, you wouldn't be able to process this transition as well as if it took you several days or something. It's sort of like, um, it's like a long commute, right? You're transitioning from work to home. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think very well put because I never really thought of it that way. But I think you're right. If it was something quick, it wouldn't have been suffice. You know, it wouldn't, right. have, it, it wouldn't have honored it and it wouldn't have worked. You know, I think I would still feel empty. And, and again, it was like mourning and changing and, and missing and memories and, and things like that. I think I'm still kind of processing that. And then I took those, my appearance allows me to be in this place. I took some of those balls and then I cast them in iron. The The casting process of, I don't know if you've ever built a sand cast, but they are, it is the most laborious work I have ever done in my life. I worked with a, a I mean, it was really labor intensive. Uh, it took me almost a week just to make the sand castings and they're large heavy castings and I worked with a metal artist who taught me how to do it but I was exhausted when I did these things and then it's interesting you make them you take the 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 original out you know you box it up and then you you know you take it to we took it to a foundry and they filled it up with metal and then the the sand casting breaks apart that you're done like the sand castings like no longer around so I found that kind of 
interesting, you know, that you let go of that mold, you let go of, you know, and then what you have is this very heavy piece of metal that rusts and that will patina over time. So it's still in the same shape as the balls, you know, but a different material. And it has the texture too. I'm looking at it right now and it looks just like very dark gray yarn. Yep. Yep. But it's, it's all iron. But heavy. (laughs) It looks heavy. Each piece is probably 20 to 25 pounds. There's one piece that um, I cast that is a very kind of small, bulbous looking thing. And I know exactly what it was. It was the only time my daughter and I have ever fought about anything. And it was you know, when those really short shorts were in. Yeah, yes. I went ballistic because I didn't want her wearing them. And so that particular piece is called the shorts mom wouldn't let me wear. <laughs> she finally said to me, well, okay, fine. Go out with me and go shopping to find some shorts. And we literally couldn't find any jean shorts. So I had to make her some from some other jeans and it was a big to do, but the, you know, the whole thing was, you know, that, that classic mother daughter butting of heads of what's appropriate and they want to look stylish and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, cover up, cover up, cover up. <laughs> but anyway, so I remember those, those kind of things when I look at those things, cause it was a, a very weighty kind of thing. Now she's 24 years old. She completely understands why I had the concerns that I did. (laughs) But at the time she did not. She thought I was terrible. (laughs) When you talked about casting, it made me curious about how you find all these different people to help you with your unusual pieces (laughs) that you want to do. You've done neon work and the casting and you Mm -hmm. just, um, what does your support system like look like and your community look like? You know what? I I find most artists here in Wisconsin are incredibly helpful. Um, If they can't help you, again, it was kind of like when I was talking about Project Reunited, like people are helpful here. Like they, they, they like doing interesting things. And so, you know, the, the artists that I contacted in Madison, I remember writing her a note and I'm like, okay, I've seen your work on Instagram. Literally, that's where I saw it. And I know you're in Madison. This is what I want to do. What do you think? And she and I traded things back and forth and back and forth. And then she contacted me and said, look, I have a period of time. We can do this if you want to do it. And I'm like, I'm game. And she's like, you have to to do this with me. I'm not doing it for you. Because I could take it to Vanguard and have them cast it for me. Right. But I was like, no, I want to do this myself. I want to, I want the, you need some skin in the game there on that. Yeah. 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 And she was fantastic, you know, and I just find that, that most artists are pretty willing. Like if someone came to me and said, I don't know how to do this with fiber, I'd be like, I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to buy stuff. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you anything I know. Because in doing that, I learned something from them and they learned something from me. So I, I, I like that give and take. And also an artist's life is pretty solitary a lot of times and any chance you can get to connect with another artist and work on art together, it just 
I don't know, it just makes me so excited when I do that and I connect with someone else and you collaborate together and because it's not the norm for most yeah. artists, right? So absolutely. And and the other thing, I, I, I think that's a really good point because we are alone a lot. I don't mind being alone, but I do like interacting with other people. The other thing that I think that's been really helpful to me that I would encourage others to do is that if you have artists that you like interacting with, ask them what they read. Ask them for books that, that help them, that, that, you know, Michelle Grabner gave me the most phenomenal book on um, theory of weaving. You know, a number of people have given me the poetics of space. You know, there's all these different books out there that, that people say, yeah, this really got my mind into thinking about this. So I, I always ask them what they're reading. I always say, hey, do you have anything you'd recommend for me? You kind of know what I'm into. And they'll be happy to tell you what they're reading. And I highly recommend, you know, to take them up on that. And then when I would read like books like about Sheila Hicks and some other pretty famous fiber artists, I go back in the, you know, the, the reference section and okay, they're taking, you know, bits and pieces from these different reference books. Should I read that book? I, I was reading something on Sheila Hicks and they referenced something called The Shape of Time. And it's a pretty like, heavy academic book. It's only, it's a tiny book, but it's really thick. And it took me a while to read it. And basically the concepts of the book was that all art that, that is going to be created has kind of already, like the big avenues of art have kind of been found. And it's, point was is that now you're finding these little offshoots of different things that originated from something pretty large and that there's a lot of value in those little off things mm -hmm. you know the little branches mm -hmm. that come off of those things so it was really fascinating to to read that it's a book that was written in the 50s too so yeah i do i i ask them what they're reading what they're into other artists that they follow either on instagram or facebook or wherever and um who's doing interesting things what lectures to listen to i listen to right. lectures you know those are or podcasts like yours <laughs> yeah. um the more information you know, that they can give me and I can educate myself, the better off I am. And, and it's not just artists that, that do what I do. You know what I mean? Right. I'm more interested in how they think about things. That's where I learn. You know, you, you don't do exactly what I do, but how do you, what is your process and how do you think about things? Because that helps me think about what I'm going to do. I think there's an evolution that happens. Well, it happened with me where... I would follow certain artists and I would love what they did and I would want to do what they did because I loved it so much. Yeah. I tried to emulate them and that just wasn't me. And then if I go and I try it, it's terrible for me. But what I've learned is that you can always learn something from these artists. It's not necessarily doing the same thing that they're doing, but thinking about where they get their inspiration and just following your own intuition and once you figure out what it is that resonates with you and that comes naturally to you and you have those aha moments that now, now you're there, now you're onto something, now you yeah. have something to share with the world. Yeah. So, and I think it's a constant process too. Right. Right. You know, I don't think you're going to say, okay, I'm here, you know? Oh, I, absolutely. I don't think I'll ever say, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe when I'm dead, you know. But in the moment, you can arrive in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think you know kind of when it feels right, when it feels like you're, you're kind of 
hitting your stride, even though it may not make sense. And I feel that I'm at that point with my art that I've done a bunch of different things. And if you look at all of it, you go, oh, okay, wow, there's a wide variety of, of things here. And I'm trying to reel that in a little bit just so I can be a little more focused. Um, I think I need to be a little more focused. About but there's a thread that runs through all of it, a thread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is literally some, a thread yeah. that runs through yeah. all of your work. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship with social media. Um, you know what? I don't know if I'm very good at it. Oh, <laughs> you know, my kids laugh at me because they think that I'm awful at it. My kids are better <laughs> at it than I am. Well, it's um, biological for them, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think social media is a really wonderful tool. And I think for me, Facebook is kind of a way to tell people about what's going on at St. Kate or make announcements or those kinds of things. And then I find Instagram is more, I, I'm a little careful about what I put out of my own work because sometimes I found that if I put it out too soon, too early in the process, people don't really understand what I'm doing. <laughs> so I tend to put it out probably a little later in the process, just to, you know, I, there are some artists that put out stuff every single day mm -hmm. and I, I admire that, but I'm just not that way. <laughs> I don't think I'm that interesting to tell you the truth. Like I, I don't want to waste. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm being serious. I don't think I have something every single day that people really want to know. You know what I'm saying? But I do think that there are artists that do have a lot of stuff that, that, you know, they see and they go, you know, they're really good at that. I just don't think I'm that artist. I think, I, I just don't think I'm that interesting. <laughs> well, I think your work takes longer to evolve. It evolves in a different way than like, you know, an eight by 10 painting evolves for someone. Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, do a painting every couple days. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and there, there's more thought process. Yeah. Well, thank you for behind that. <laughs> your work. And, yeah. and part of it is if you share it too soon, also you get feedback on it and it changes the way you think about how you're going to move yep. forward. And then you start to question your own intuition and your gut. And you're like, well, should I do that? These people didn't really like it. Yeah. And, and people are better at the stories, like some of those, you know, just what they're doing. I don't know. I always feel like it's a responsibility not to waste people's time. Yeah. You know? And so if I post something, it's going to be a pretty specific reason, mm -hmm. either to let people know, like I said, what's going on. Like I did the quarantine quilt with um, the Museum of Quilts and Fiber Arts. They are wonderful, you know, but they had this idea. And I think I gave you some pictures. You did. The, the quilt, they, they put out a call during the pandemic for people to send in 12 by 12 squares that they had made, quilt squares. And these are phenomenal pieces of work. I mean, just wonderful. And so I was talking to their curator and I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to do a giant mask. And she was like, oh, that's cool. So they let me use a bunch of these and then the outside the the blue part of that mask are actually scrubs from essential workers oh linda that's wonderful oh, so you took the squares and, and i put, put them on the mask and i created the armature cool. for it and then i did the sides and the over the ears but creating that armature was something that took forever to figure out because it had to be something that could be taken apart and it could travel 
So oh. that was, that was a little difficult. <laughs> there are so many things that you, there are so many parts to the work that you do. I'm just fascinated by it all. I it's, think it's, lot, you must not get bored, right? <laughs> I think a lot to me is problem solving. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. You know, so, so you know, when, when they said, oh yeah, we're going to let you do this. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to figure out how to make an armature. <laughs> and it took me like, you would laugh. I wish I had saved, I had taken like some chicken wire and I put it around the front of my car, like the, the bumper, you know? Like, oh yes. Would look like a giant mask. And then I was like, okay, that's not right. You know? That's and so then, resourceful though, to even think about that. <laughs> and then I was like, well, how am I going to get it in and out of the quilt? Like, you know? So what I did was I was like, I laid everything out and then I was like, you know, it could be like a bustier. So a bustier has um, boning inside of it that you can take out sometimes or put in. And so I was like, you know, what if I made, you know, little channels throughout the whole thing vertically Uh and horizontally that you could put, it's almost like a tent. So, you know, when you build a tent. Oh, sure. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, so that's what I did. I made channels in the back that these, these pieces of aluminum, so it's lightweight, would create this kind of rounded look. <laughs> and <laughs> how, how, how big is the It's huge. Um, it's uh, seven by seven, 12 inch squares. So it's like five, about five and a half feet by nine feet like it's large right right you know? um and that particular show is going to be up until the end of november you, you got to look at the pictures you've got to yeah. go look at linda's instagram or the website with her episode page on there because this is incredible yeah, it's cool and 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 I, and the work of those squares is just phenomenal it came from across the world you know oh, wow. so that was that was kind of interesting <laughs> that's cool the other thing I did want to talk about is that I do think yeah. that there are parts just like the labor of those pieces we were talking about. There's also another part of me that's a little into feminist art. Um, and I would describe my piece called Strained. It's a piece that's being shown at the Seams uh, show at the Portrait uh, Society Gallery downtown. Um, and what it is, is it's a food strainer with a juicer on top of it and then it's um french knots like thousands of french knots um around it and it looks like giant breasts basically (laughs) there are two of them sagging (laughs) by the way (laughs) hence the name strained (laughs) (laughs) and it was kind of my tipping my hat to women's work and and the female body and and there's a lot of women and maybe you do this too but there's a lot of women that have pieces that are considered kind of feminist pieces, but they're not part of their practice. You know what I mean? They, they are either part of a feminist collective where they contribute things, but they don't do it full time. Kind you of a one-off. I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm probably one of those people that understands that and gets it. And yes, that's an influence of mine, of course, but it's not everything I do. Well, sometimes you can't help it, but go there. Yeah. Like there's just something inside of you that has to come out yeah. Yeah. I had a friend of mine many years ago say, you just have to get it out of your fingers, you know, just let it 
go through. I love that. Nobody sees it. Nobody sees it. It doesn't matter. Right. You just let it out of your fingers. And I think that's such a good way to think about things. If you get it out of your head and onto the paper, if you get it out of your body and walk it off, you know, things that stay inside your body and fester. Yeah. (laughs) Not good. It's not good for you. It provides room for the stuff that should be there. Mm -hmm. If you allow it to kind of go through you. Right. And get it out. And then it allows room for what you really should be making. At least that's the way I think of it. <laughs> right. And I'm glad you did it and showed it. It's wonderful. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's funny. I have another iteration of that and it's called Perky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and let's say it's not as saggy as those. <laughs> I got to see has, that. You got to send me that. It right. has, it has, again, it has you know, food strainers, but the top of it are coffee strainers. <laughs> very pointy, very still. Perky. Yeah. Per- <laughs> you know, perpendicular to the ground, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, <laughs> not at this 20 degree angle. <laughs> eh, that's great. Is there something you're aching to change in the world or in yourself? Oh my God. I think I always need a lot of work. <laughs> You know, I I think that what's going on on around us, the social unrest, you know, clearly affects me and I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I do something about it with my art? And certainly that's why we've done what we're doing at St. Kate, curatorially speaking. You know, I, I do think that art changes the world and I do think we as artists have responsibility to get our perspectives out there and to try to, to, to make concepts and ideas consumable to everyone. I think what art, the beauty of art is that it, it can allow an artist to take something that would be maybe controversial or difficult to think about and they put it in such a way that everyone can consume it and think about it, you know? So it could be the most horrible situation um, something that, that's, you know, child abuse or, or racial unrest, you know, um, things that people have a tough time talking about and putting it in such a way that, that people can really hear it and see it and, and be able to talk about it. If you can reach people through art, I think that is so powerful and important. And I think in Milwaukee, the creative community does a really good job of, getting messages out there through public art. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think people work together really, really well. A lot of the gallery owners are work with each other and are, are very um, respectful of each other and of the artists and things like that. But I just think we have a responsibility to, to help get those messages out, you know, that, that um, however way we can. I think it's important for the next generation, the next couple of generations, you know, to hear those different voices and to, to understand and have empathy for each other and compassion and things that I think that have been kind of going away recently in our culture. <laughs> Agree. You know, super, super important, which again, back to the fiber issue, I think that's what fiber can do. You know, it can, it can provide a comfort place to talk about things that might be difficult and a way for respite and a way for taking a pause and, then thinking about things and not moving so quickly 
the news cycles are so quickly, we're moving things through so quickly, we won't think about them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time to take a little more time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Slow down and process. Yeah. Is there a non-artistic endeavor on your bucket list? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do tell. My husband would kill me if I did this, but, and I turned 60 this year too. So, um, Uh-oh, look I, out, Greg. I, I want to jump out of a plane. Oh, <laughs> I really do. I think it'd be a blast, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that would be fun to do something like that. I, I want to hopefully spend my life as productively as I can each day and, um, love and care for the people around me that I, I adore and, my communities that I'm a part of. Really, that's my bucket list. (laughs) Well, Milwaukee is richer for you being a part of it and engaging with the community. So thank you for all that you have done (laughs) for this community, the city, the artists here, really. It's given a lot back to me, honestly. I have gained so much more than than I could ever give. You know, this is a wonderful community. And I always tell people, I'm so glad I raised my family here. I'm so glad I live here. I love the people here. The beauty of of Wisconsin and the people here is unmatched. I mean, I think people don't realize that, you know, that that people care about each other here, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's really wonderful. Um, Is there anything else you want to share before we go to our rapid fire questions? I guess, you know what, honestly, I, I appreciate what you do. I appreciate this opportunity, you know, to talk about these things. And hopefully if anyone listens to this, especially if you're a woman that's already raised your kids or go for it because, you know, life isn't over yet. You know, I, I'm just getting started. <laughs> right. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really do. Like I, I meet some people and they're kind of like, well, retirement and all this stuff. I'm like, no, I'm just getting going. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe retired from dishes and things like that. Right, right, right. For sure. <laughs> but not from, you know, living life and curiosity and, and let your curiosity go and don't hold yourself back. I think my message to people, anyone that might be listening to this is the person who stands who's holding you back is the person in the mirror. It really is. And you need to be kind to yourself, allow yourself to, to have failures and, and missteps and learn from them and move on and laugh at yourself and move through it, you know, and you will be more resilient and better off for it. Okay. Put that up on your mirror, put that <laughs> quote up where you can see it every single day, because it's so easy to forget that day after day. It but is. it's so true. It, it, it really, it took me until I was in my fifties to realize that it wasn't other people put, uh, holding me back. It was myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You we know, make a lot of excuses for ourselves. It's easy yeah, to do. I love to blame other people for it, but yeah. no, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Oh, sure. First of all, music, podcast, audiobook, silence other silence what's your comfort food oh what's not my comfort food (laughs) (laughs) well i actually have a couple um popovers uh egg popovers that i make and brownies anything sweet really (laughs) there you go can you describe a favorite outdoor spot oh my gosh i was i have a new one actually i was down at doctor's park 
at, on the beach. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were there right at dusk. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. It was gorgeous. So yeah, beach at Doctor's Park. What would you do with a financial windfall? I feel like I have everything I need. Maybe set up some way, some education for artists or something like that. Excellent. Tell us where we can find you and all of your awesomeness. <laughs> You're very sweet. <laughs> Instagram, Linda Marcus Design. Yeah. Great. Everyone go check her out. You're awesome. You have such a great, enthusiastic, optimistic attitude, which I think a lot of artists do, but I just really appreciate your curiosity, your engagement, your thoughtfulness about what's behind the art that you do too, and your willingness to share that with us. So thank you so, thank much, you so much. Honestly, this has been a joy. It really is. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I feel like we just scratched the surface and that we could have talked for another three hours. Lucky for you, we didn't. All right, here are the takeaways from today's episode. Number one, it all starts with being curious about the world. Number two, you can have multiple careers across different industries. All you need to do is take a chance on yourself. Number three, it's worth peeling back the layers when you meet someone. There's something wonderful to behold when you take the time to look a little closer. Number four, embracing failure means you are learning. Number five, the person that's holding you back is the person in the mirror. You need to be kind to yourself and allow yourself to have failures and missteps and learn from them and laugh at yourself and move through it. You'll be more resilient and better off for it. And number six, the beauty of art is that it can allow an artist to take something that would be maybe controversial or difficult to think about and put in such a way that everyone can consume it and think about it. Thank you for listening. I know you have a million things you could be doing right now, and I sincerely appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to these conversations. I hope they resonate with you and that you feel less alone after you listen to my guests. Have a great week. Be kind to yourself and others. And remember to acknowledge the mess, but keep going. Keep creating. All right. See you next week.